In Shel Silverstein's popular children's book, and I, I imagine that there's quite a few here this morning that are familiar with this book, The Giving Tree. Have you heard of The Giving Tree? You've read that book? You've seen that? We hear the story of a relationship between a boy and a tree. The tree, for its part, generously and consistently gives of itself, quite literally, uh, throughout the entire story over the course of the boy's life. Branches to climb and swing, fruit to sell, limbs and trunk to be cut down. When the book draws to a close, the boy, who by now is quite elderly, is in conversation with what is left of this tree. Of course, the tree here at this point self-describes itself as being just an old stump, which is an accurate depiction based on where the story has gone to that point, and all the illustrations in the book show it just being that stump. Presumably, there's nothing left to give at this point. But there is one last gift to be given. And after a brief conversation, the tree provides the boy with a place to sit and rest. And the book ends with, and the tree was happy. What a delightful little story of dying. (laughs) This, of course, is a fictional story and probably one of the few places in life we would associate the quality of living with being a stump. Yes, researchers have shown that a stump can continue to go on living, but that does require the help of neighboring trees or even uh, uh, different kinds of fungi to provide nutrients to you at that point. But to the popular imagination, being a stump is the end of the road. It is that fading remnant of what you used to be. And at that point, no one expects much from a stump. And should you yourself become a stump, that's no reason to celebrate, right? If you become a stump, that's it. No party being held. Isaiah chapter 10, the chapter just before uh, the Isaiah passage we heard in the candle lighting this morning, uh, it has this picture of becoming a stump right at the very end. It's a fearful and not so cheery state of affairs is what Isaiah speaks to at that point of nations facing divine judgment. Here's one of the last verses from chapter 10. See the, Lord, the God, see the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. You'll become a stump. There'll be many stumps amongst them. That's stump making in its finest at that point. And in real time, it would be sudden and total judgment is what would befall the nations. With desolation and death's shadow in view. But of course, if you're familiar with the good news of God's grace, if you've heard the gospel before, you know that where the chapter ends, the story doesn't. That where Isaiah 10 ends, there's a larger story that's about to come into picture. For at the precise moment when all appears lost, when judgment has come and stumps have been formed, we hear at the very beginning of Isaiah chapter 11, A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. That shoot will change everything. In fact, you might read the passage and go, shoot, that changes everything. I know, that was a really dumb joke. But it's the picture of life springing forth from what appeared to be dead. For in the midst of suffering, a promise comes. At the moment of despair... Hope arrives, and what seems like the end springs to a new kind of future. 
And that's what we see in our verses and our texts this morning. As these readings weave together, in Psalm 72, we see a future imagined in which God's people are singing and praying for that future. They're hoping and longing for something different, a different kind of leader, a different kind of king. And specifically, what they're praying for is that their God-favored king will then distribute that divine favor to the nation, who then in return will offer glory and praise to God. If that sounds like a cycle, it's because it is. That God blesses, that the people then are blessed, and that blessing is then returned. There's a cycle there. In our everyday lives, we tend to get away from the idea that leadership could be that. Right, don't we? We see the headline-grabbing leaders of our own day, and they often point to their own aims. They're not always looking to bless others. They're looking to create their own status, exalt themselves. But the psalmist captures for us not only a picture of how it ought to be, but also hinting at the possibility that one would indeed come who could truly live into this anointed status, this God's presence on them in such a state that they live out the very character of God to the people. And it's an expectation that invites even more acclamation of worship as we see throughout that psalm. Not only from the nation, not just from God's people, but from all nations. And like I said, that's blessing. That's being blessed to be a blessing. And it certainly has been part of the calling card of God's people, going all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, but even earlier than that. But this is more than what we might call hashtag blessed. Right? This is more than me saying, hey, look what I got. Look what I've been uh, given Look at the life that I get to enjoy. Instead, it's a taking action on behalf of the poor and the vulnerable. It's taking action on those who are oppressed and stopping the oppressors. That is certainly how the psalmist imagines that this king, this one who's divinely favored, will take action. And that's not surprising at all, as these fit nicely, each one of these actions fit nicely into what God's own revealed character has been given witness to in Scripture. God, our protector, God, our adjudicator, the one who cares about and cares for the dispossessed, the ones who takes orphans and makes them family, calls them beloved children. Of course, in Isaiah 11, the prophet points uh, to that future, that day when this actually comes to full fruition, a future that comes into view when one within the fabled Davidic line, as we hear out of the stump of Jesse, It comes into power, but this king is not like the tired rulers of the past who struggled to live into their calling. Rather, this one is to be faithful, endowed with God's presence, and taking action on behalf of those under his charge. This king enacts the words wisdom and justice and righteousness. We see those captured within the text. Characteristics associated with God, God's self. And we might say here, this is the real answer. This one is the real answer to the prayer that's offered in Psalm 72. Under the faithful leadership of this one, what comes is a future that is nothing short of completely transformational. The prophet describes this with the most vivid of language. Predator sitting peaceably with prey. The vulnerable safely in the company of the venomous. This is the peaceable kingdom that the ancients hoped for. And longed for a world greatly transformed from the way that it was then. The vulnerable need no longer be afraid. 
the dangers of the world would have been put to rest. Of course, last week we saw that the imagery around this was instruments of war, now fashioned into those instruments for farming and peace. This week, we see it in the cessation of danger. The hunted no longer hunted, that they could be safely at peace. But that all sounds good for the ancients, right? That's good for those ancients, those sandal-wearing walkers everywhere because they don't have cars. They would regularly wonder if their food or water source would run out because of famine and drought. Those ancients, they would wonder if time would run out because of their early mortality. Or even would their luck run out? That's the life they lived because they didn't know if a conquering army would show up at their door and take over their cities. They didn't have social security. They didn't have medical insurance. And they were susceptible to all kinds of dangers. Seems kind of a far cry from the experience of many of us moderns, right? Of course, we've become too sophisticated to worry about such dangers, right? We don't have those kinds of primitive fears here in our day and age, right? I don't imagine we're too different from the ancients. I don't imagine that we don't have those same kind of fears. In fact, this last week, uh, Version announced its 2022 verse of the year. It said the verse that was shared, bookmarked, and highlighted most often by the global Version community. Let's talk about the global Version community for a second. You may not be familiar with this. The Bible app that you download to your phone or your device. The number one Bible app uh, in the app stores is from Version. There's over 500 million unique devices that have this app on them is what, they, what they've come to understand. So that's a lot of apps that have been shared out there. Here's the verse that was uh, bookmarked and shared the most in the last year. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. That's the verse. Ancient fears are modern fears. I thought it was particularly noteworthy that when they do the breakdown of the top verse for individual countries... So they have the individual countries, what was the most shared and most copied uh, verse. This particular verse was the number one verse for the United States. It was also the number one verse for Ukraine. Think about that for a moment. In 2022. We don't want to be afraid because we are. We want to be at peace because we're restless even in our modern day and our modern age. Of course, the beauty in the biblical witness at this point is that the future that's envisioned here is not isolated to just one group or one country or one nation or one people. No, the benefit goes out to all the world. Isaiah makes that point in verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the, to the peoples, the nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. And the psalmist in Psalm 72, 19, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May his glory fill the whole earth. Amen and amen. I kept that on the verse because that's our response as well. Amen, amen. But we're not there yet. But it's coming. It's coming. So what does that mean for us today? 
Well, first off, we should own that this word is a hopeful one for us. That what the ancients captured in the psalm and in Isaiah is a hopeful one for us. Romans 15 tells us that. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we have hope in this type of instruction. But just as much as we enjoy that hope, we're also called to action. Because the next verse in Romans says, May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. Remember that chorus of nations, all those nations streaming, Psalm 72, Isaiah 11? Romans invites us to be that people. It invites people of all different uh, populations, different groups that come together in glorifying the Lord. As the Romans writer will go on, Apostle Paul says, so that together, together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. John Baptizer is our gospel reading. We heard about him in the Matthew passage. But one of our Advent devotional writers imagined to be a questionable hype man. (laughs) You read the devotional this last week? He calls hearers to take particular action himself, to make straight. I think most depictions of this character, certainly in my lifetime, when they talked about him, is kind of a a wild, mangy, kind of scary-looking figure who's yelling a lot. That's been the picture, that's the caricature that I imagine, and who's been imagined for me, of this one who comes, a prophetic figure for sure, wearing the clothing of Elijah, but also very odd as he eats locusts and honey. But here he is, he's speaking of one who is coming, who will thoroughly complete the promised transformation. He talks about that baptism that's going to be provided by the one who comes after him. It's going to be complete and thorough. His is just water for repentance. But the one who's coming is going to provide a complete, a completion of that work. That's hopeful and hope-filled talk. That's different than wild and crazy. That's someone calling us to a better future. But as both Paul and John note, there is work to be done. There is work to be done. And we're not surprised when we hear that kind of talk. We shouldn't be surprised that the scriptures call us to a particular kind of action here today in this life as we prepare for a coming future. We know that in 1972, Pope Paul VI, for instance, said in his message, the now famous words, if you want peace, work for justice. If you want peace, work for justice. Or closer to home, Presbyterian minister David Davis, who teaches at uh, Princeton, summarized the period we now live in with this. While waiting for the promised glorious kingdom to come, God's kingdom people are called to point to, work for, shout out, and claim the reign of God now. And going to another uh, Presbyterian minister, Marcy Glass writes, to make our Advent journey be one of renewed commitment to creating safer communities and safer relationships as we work for God's new heaven and new earth. So there's work to be done. There's places where we can participate in seeing glimpses of that future here in the present. But how do we do that? How do you and me do that? We're just, we're just nobodies from nowhere. How do, how do we do that? How do we imagine that kind of future for ourselves? Well, I have a painting. I think it's all loaded up. Do we have that painting loaded up? Let's put that on the screen if we've got it. It's not all white on a white canvas, I'll tell you that right now. 
while that's loading up here, we're going to be looking at a painting here, hopefully, from 19th century American painter and Quaker minister Edward Hicks. It's a painting that's aptly titled The Peaceable Kingdom. It's one in which uh, Hicks drew from uh, the Isaiah passage itself, and you'll see that, hopefully, in a second. And I say work there, I use that, I use that uh, idea of it being a work, it's actually probably better known as works plural, because he issued over 100 versions of this between 1820 and the end of his life, around 1849. Clearly it was an important text that stirred his imagination. So on the screen here you see this is the 1834 edition of the Peaceable Kingdom. And as one might expect, you see there in the foreground, uh, you see the representations from that Isaiah text. A wolf and lamb, calf and lion, child and asp, etc. You see all those different characters there. But in the distance, you'll see there tucked over in the corner, you'll see a little curious vignette, a little depiction there of some people that are gathered there. And what that is is a vignette that was inspired by a popular work, an earlier work, by an artist named Benjamin West that was titled William Penn's Treaty with the Indians. And its inclusion here is not by accident. Clearly for this painter, as painting the scene from Isaiah and this idea of, of peaceful kingdom, there's an association here between the prophet's message and the work of William Penn and the Quakers and their early work there in Pennsylvania. And to some degree, the peaceable kingdom has been realized with Penn securing a peaceable and profitable relations with indigenous populations. And Quakerism, which oftentimes is associated with peace and peacemaking, coming to the colony itself. That's the association, but the reality was quite different. That's the association that's made in his lifetime, but the reality was quite different. We know now as we look back and if we're honest with ourselves, we know that relations between the colonists and the indigenous people were far from equitable. That there was more of, uh, there wasn't take it or leave it, there was take it and leave, was the attitude. And at the time of West painting, and continuing into Hicks' own life, the Quaker church and its leadership in Pennsylvania was dividing into various factions. So that church that he was part of had already been splitting for a hundred years. The West painting, of course, the one that the vignettes drawn from, was commissioned at a time when the Penn family legacy was at risk. It was commissioned by William Penn's son, trying to create a different kind of history story, what we might call damage control. The painting attempts to tell that different kind of story than the one that was ultimately playing out in real time. So Hicks' choice here, of course, is flawed. We see that the peaceable kingdom was not realized in the early Americas, and it wasn't realized in Pennsylvania. But it does invite you and me to a kind of template, which is why I have it up here for us this morning. It invites us to consider in our own day and age, in the foreground, the imagery from Isaiah. And those words from the psalmist in Psalm 72 playing in the foreground. And the call from John the baptizer there ringing in our ears. With all of that in our imagination and stirring our hearts and our minds, what vignette might we paint in our own day and age that would depict seeing this come into fruition at some level in our own lifetime? Where does God's peaceable kingdom peek out through the fog and unrest of modern life? Where is it inviting people like you and me to enter into 
that kind of peaceful rest? What action would we paint here in our own locale that would say these are the steps that we're taking, the actions that we're moving towards, the paths that are being made straight? Where is that work being done right here? Where do we see it bringing a peaceable community here in our own community through our own work and efforts as a grateful response to the gift of God's grace? We yearn to inhabit peaceable quarters in the future. My prayer for us this morning is that God would grant us the resilience of of faith, the expansiveness of imagination, and the courage to sow and cultivate glimpses of that peaceable kingdom to be realized in our own day as we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, let us pray.